Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Tonight, um, we're just going to spend a few minutes and let's open our packet to that first delicious page. Look at that thing. Look at that. I don't know. Does that make y'all as happy as it does me? I want you to know there's, there are 13 more pages in here just like that. Isn't that great? So this is an investment of our heart, and um, we invested it on you tonight. And you didn't have to pay for this little book I made for you, okay? And I want you to cherish it because it's the revelations of God over this house in, in a one-year period of time. And this song that we sang tonight, um, the temple song, uh, both songs actually were written this year, and um, we really um, birthed, we birthed these songs out of the revelations that God give us. And, you know, they sang some prophetic songs tonight. Almost everything they sang tonight was prophetic. That means that it's not written down somewhere on a chord chart or something. It's just sung out of the relationship that they have with the Father. And that that's the desire of the Father for worship. And so God also has a desire for how we steward the words of God. And let me just help you that none of us come to the planet really good at stewarding words, right? Just for fun, you don't have to raise your hand, but if I was to ask you to raise your hand, how many know that words have hurt them? And so when words hurt us, the deliverer of those words didn't understand the power of words. And one of the things in my life that I feel like God has put me as a steward over is the words that God speaks. I've believed for a long time, I say it like that, I said it earlier, that I have the audacity to believe that I can hear from him. And, and Jesus said that. In John, he said that my sheep hear my voice. And he even said that they don't, that his sheep don't even follow another voice. Can you just see that that's really the heart of the Father? And think about it. If, you know, I have this little dog, Scout, and you can ask anyone. She is the cutest dog ever to live on the planet. Come on. Isn't it the truth? Because everything about how she feels, she expresses it in some sort of grunt. It's not a it's not a loud one, but it's just it's just constant. It's a constant interaction with what her needs are. And I I the reason why I like that so much is that I feel like that's the Holy Spirit. He is constantly groaning for us to realize that He has a need for something to be expressed on the earth. He has a way that He wants to do things. And see, when you begin to ache to do the things the way the Holy Spirit wants it done, you live in perfect peace. Because the Holy Spirit would never lead you or guide you to do something different than peace. And so 
you know, we were talking in the green room and, you know, what we did was we took every message that was brought to this house this year and we, we somehow magically pulled out a few snippets. And so I want, and I invite you to take this and, and make it a manual for your life for this year. I believe that there are attributes that God delivered last year that are going to be so vital to you understanding for this year. You know, God, he speaks here a little, come over here. And then he speaks over here a little bit. Let's go back over here. And he comes back over here. And before you know it, he has woven a foundation of truth that you don't even realize you're living from until all of a sudden something from your past comes up and you're like, wow, I don't think I feel the same way I used to feel. And you didn't even know how it happened. And so Cece's going to answer all that question for you on Sunday though. I just want you to know. Are you excited about it? I'm pretty excited about it. So I've asked a few of them to come and share their favorite snippets this year, just for a few minutes. And um, anyway, I've asked Cece to come and start us out with the recap of our word of the year last year. Do you remember it a little bit? Yetzer and Yatzer, come on. Thank you. Thank you, Tisa. Oh, man, what an amazing year it was. It was, it was amazing just to look back over the, the few. We kind of divided up the months to come up with bullet points for this amazing packet. And there's so much goodness. I mean, it was really, really challenging to pick just a couple bullet points. So just remember, those, those are just to spur you on to go listen to the message or read the sermon notes, which are an Evernote for that message, or, you know, listen to it again. Um, because there's so much goodness in it. So the word of the year last year, you know, it was called created to create, and it covered, we covered a lot with it. But um, but it it's a word that when I was, re I've revisited it throughout the year, and it's really near and dear to my heart, because I think it was sort of like um, the Holy Spirit revealed and a purpose and a plan and an intention for the way he designed us and what he intended us to do on earth. And it was, it's that thing where it became so clear all of a sudden about what his purpose was and how we have, because of the enemy, taken the thing he gave us to do the purpose and given it away and used it for, the, for this other thing that is the exact opposite of what we want. And this all has gone on in such a subtle way that we weren't even aware we were doing it. And so, you know, there's a, I can't remember where in the Bible right now, but somewhere in the Old Testament, there's a time where the scripture, the law is read to the Israelites and they haven't heard it in a long time. And they, they were grieving so much because at hearing the law, they realized how far away they were from it. And of course, with him, that's kind of what this word was for me. But the good thing about the Holy Spirit, you know, that he's convicting, not condemning. And so the Holy Spirit lights a fire under you when he shows you how far off you are. That feels really exciting and is good. It's not condemning. 
it doesn't drag you down and make you sorrowful. So it was a very convicting word for me that I keep, I continuously find myself not quite being there, you know. But we were talking the other day about how it's just a process and how he does love the process and we will forever be working on these things. But I love that he told us that he showed us a goal, you know, he showed us a purpose and an intent. And so to, to begin the recap, basically, I wanted to remind us that it started off with me realizing that, that Jesus himself imagined us before he made us. He pictured us in his mind before he ever made us. And so it, this whole thing opened up about how the process of creativity actually starts with your imagination, not with what you start drawing or painting or writing or whatever your pro creative process may be, or even speaking, that we actually imagine it before we speak it. It's seen as a picture in our mind before our brain comes up with the language you, to use to explain what we're seeing. So it was highlighted that the imagination was this essential first step of the creative process. And it is the process that God himself used all throughout all of the creative pro his creative process. And so I realized that creating with words is secondary to the process of picturing it. And so that highlighted an important thing for us because we are really big on um, teaching on the power of our words around here and saying, you know, what you say, you're going to get what you say, you know, declare it, say it, speak it, you know, say what you want to happen, say how it's going to be. But there's a whole step before you say it. That's actually the critical step. And it's what you're thinking. What do you really think is going to happen? And there's that's the empowering part. That's the first seed that's planted is what are you thinking? What's in your imagination? What are you imagining about it? And so realizing that that was the original creative process, that that's what a sanctified imagination should be, where we're, we're operating with our, um, our thoughts and not this after, you know, putting the cart before the horse thing. And then realizing that we had an unsanctified imagination because the enemy has hijacked our true imagination because, of course, we're not just talking about art, are we? Our imagination is behind everything. Are really, our thoughts are behind everything. And so it's way bigger than what we've minimized it to be in our culture. And so that led me on a search for what uh, the word imagination in the Hebrew language in the original text in the Bible. And we found the word yetzer and yatzer, yetzer being imagination. And we realized that imagination really does form our reality. So what you imagine to be true is how you see the world. That's your reality. And Yatzer is more of, I guess you could say, the verb of actually making something from that Yatzer. And so I went on a, a search of all these different verses in the Bible that use that same word. And I was so surprised to find out all the different implications, how much bigger the imagination really was, right? So... We talked about how um, we found in uh, several verses that it has to do with your inclination and character, your, your intentions. Let me come over here and see. I think we wrote a few of them over here. That your intentions, your thoughts, your, I mean, think about it, your intention, just what you intend to do when you get up with your day is your imagination. You've started the creative process by what you intend your intentions, your thoughts, your, your, the way you're leaning, 
what you're leaning towards on a certain subject has already begun a creative process. So then I, I went on to search for the first real search of the word led me to the actual purpose of our our imagination. And the verse on the very back of your packet is one of the verses that we touched on where I realized that our imagination was actually created for the purpose of building the temple. Now, this song that we sang came about prior to this, actually, and or kind of somehow in the big mix of it all, you know. And it, this question had already been posed, what does it mean to be a temple? The Holy Spirit dropped that question for us. What does it mean to be a temple? And then we find that our imagination was supposed to be for the sole purpose of building the temple. And so we have that incredible verse, and there, there were several, actually, in where Solomon, or David is telling Solomon to, you know, be resolute, um, you know, know that God is searching your heart for all your desires and understands the intentions of your every thought. Realize that the eternal has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. You must be resolute and do it. That's a different one than it's on your packet, but you get the idea. Consider this carefully, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. Be courageous and strong and do it. Both of these verses have the Yetzer imagination word in it. And so it was so powerful to see what, that this was our purpose. And so, but I, I again realized early on in my very early process that God had intended my imagination to be like his and used for his creative purpose, but my imagination for most of my life has primarily been built, used for prevention. If you think about your intentions, your thoughts, like how many times do you hear something that's not good or you want it to be different or something that could happen, you know, that might happen if you keep doing, going down this road and you spend time figuring out how to prevent the thing you've heard that might happen. I mean, the news is full of it. The commercials are full of it. You know, you might get this. This might happen. Protect against this. Get all this, you know. And so realizing how much of my life had been used for the purposes of preventing instead of building. And so this was a huge, huge, huge realization. And I found it more and more in my life that I was using my creative ability, this powerful creative ability to just prevent things from happening when I was really supposed to be building something. Those are two opposites, you know, trying to prevent something evil from happening instead of building a temple for God are two opposites. And so it occurred to me, um, I had heard Johnny Enlow mention one time that, that in the Israelites, when they were freed from Egypt, by the time they'd been there, most of them probably would not have said they were slaves. Like the, if you re, if you looked at the history and put yourself in it and think about mindsets of people, this was normal life for them. They wouldn't have said we're slaves. They wouldn't even have known it because they had been, you know, it's the frog in the kettle thing. And so it occurred to me that I think this is go, someday we are going to say that about ourselves. Humanity is going to say we didn't even know we were enslaved to the spirit of fear. We were enslaved to the spirit of fear. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is still something that's just continuing to be unraveled and uh, unveiled of how true of a statement I really believe that is. We have been enslaved to the spirit of fear. And I wrote, and one of the most powerful points in this word, I think, was realizing that we, just like the Israelites were enslaved 
to build Egypt's kingdom. Remember, you've seen all the cartoon movies and everything. You know, they were building, they were working to build structures for Egypt and make their world great. Just like that, we've been building fear's kingdom. We've been enslaved to fear and using our powerful imagination to build a kingdom for fear instead of building a temple for God. And this is how the world gets to be the state it's in. So when we look around the world and we don't like what we see, it's because humanity's built it. Humanity's created a culture of fear. It's all based on, like I said, make sure you don't, this doesn't happen, protect against this, buy into this plan. You know, it's all fear. It's all driven by fear. And that was never the intention for our imagination, for our inclination, for our thoughts, for our intentions when we get up in the day. And so that was a powerful thing to, I wanted to really recognize in my own life, how have I, when does that happen for me? And so that's been a real big thing for me to realize over this year of like, oh man, you know, I, I just partnered with, not only partnered with fear, I served fear and built fear's temple with my time instead of building a temple for God. That's way more grievous to me than just saying, man, I got scared again. You know, I've been scared my whole life, so that's no big deal when I just say I got scared again. That's hardly a blip on the radar, right? But to say, to tell myself, I just spent the last hour or the days or weeks building a temple to glorify and worship the spirit of fear, that's horrifying to me. And that sometimes we get, we've got to realize the gravity of these things in order to really want to make an effort to change them. And so we've got to be resolute. We talked about having your mind, your creative mind, fixed on what actually builds instead of prevents. And then likewise, we rec- we talked about how preventative measures are exactly the same as building uh, an idol. It's another place that that same word is used in Scripture. It's talking about how idols that are gods that can't speak, you know, they're lifeless, they can't do anything for you. And I always think it's hilarious because we laugh about in the movies when they've got their little wooden structures set up and we think that's absurd. You know, that's just ridiculous. I would never do that. Our preventative measures, when we set out to create something to prevent something bad from happening, is no different than a little wooden idol. And that's a God that cannot speak. He cannot save you. He cannot serve you. And so our preventative measures are idols. That was another huge point to me. I thought it was interesting that this word was also in the book of Genesis when Noah, in the story of Noah, where the God has flooded the world and wiped humanity off because of the thoughts and inclinations of everyone's heart. That's why he did it. That's why God flooded the earth was because of this very thing that we're talking about. He knew what their imagination was holding, and he said, you know what, we're just going to pick, pick these few and start over. The great thing about that story is that we know he said right afterwards, I will never, ever do that again. So again, we're not condemned, right? We're convicted. because We're, we're empowered and, and, and filled with passion to do something different, but it's for that very reason. So are we using our imagination for fear and all of, all of that? God says, it has this incredible um, verse, uh, nugget in there, Genesis 8.21, and it says, you know, I will never basically do this again, but the law of seed and harvest will basically always be in effect, in effect afterwards. And it dawned on me in that moment, what he meant is I will never wipe you out. 
I will never wipe humanity out again for the, their imagination. But know this, the law of seed and harvest will always be effect. So the seeds you sow with your imagination, you will reap. And that was such a powerful thing of like, whoa, wow. He's saying it like, look, I'm never going to do this again. I just wiped humanity off the face of the earth. I will never do it again. But know this, you will get what you sow. What you think on, you're going to create, you're going to get. A powerful, powerful key right there. And so there were several several other scriptures. There was also the right-brained um, talk about how our right you know, creativity is normally talk about being right-brained. And there was a story in John 21 that was when the, the disciples were in the boat and they couldn't f- catch any fish, you know, and then Jesus comes along and says, hey, throw your, your net over on the starboard side, which is the right side of the boat. And so there's this whole prophetic message in that story that was really cool because basically the disciples had gotten scared at that point and they decided to go out instead of waiting for Jesus, they decided to go out and go fishing, which was what their fallback plan, right? That's what they knew to do over all all those, the previous years. So they went out to make their own way, their self-made way to get food, right? Because they're like, forget this. We can't, I don't know what's happening. Fear took over in the process of waiting. And so they went out and sit and did their own thing. Couldn't catch anything. Couldn't catch any fish. Their self-made effort got them nothing. So Jesus comes along though. He's on the scene and he says, hey, how about you do the opposite of that? How about you partner with me and creativity on the starboard side and they catch like an enormous number of fish, right? And the number of fish in the scripture, if you remember, was so key because it's a reference to the goat nations or sheep nations and basically the coming harvest, which I can't even explain all that. But basically, short version is our self-made efforts won't even satisfy your personal need. Partnering with him in creativity on the starboard side with him involved actually will satisfy your own needs. You'll get plenty of fish for yourself. And it will further the needs of God in his kingdom. It was a powerful, powerful story. And so we talked about a couple of ways, different ways we all tend to, subtle ways we partner with fear and using our imagination to um, ruminate on the past. That's another way. If you're looking at the past and thinking, well, I could have done this, I could have done that, you're still using your imagination to ruminate and to create things in the past that can never even happen. Right? So that's dumb. Just say it that way. (laughs) Just to put it simply, you know. We were talking about big vocabulary the other day, right? So that was my big word for today. And so we talked about other ways that we try to we try to fix the past with our creativity in that way. But we also can, the sub, other subtle thing was that we can, we, it makes sense and it's reasonable for us to ask God, well, what do you want for the future, right? What do we pray and say, what, how do you see this? What do you want me to build with my creativity? And I realized that while that is good and that is the goal, we can't begin that process out of something fear has defined, So we can't go through a process and say, well, you know, fear has said that we're all going to, um, you know, Walmart's going to run out of milk and chicken in a year, you know, less than a year. 
fear is telling us to be afraid, you're going to run out of food. We can't then sit down and ask God, well, what do you want me to do to, um, to prevent this thing that fear just said? That's still, you, you can't create the future with God if you let fear define the present. It's another huge, huge key. We've got to look at what the starting point is. What was the seed? Was it actually something God said, something life-giving, or was it just something else fear said? Because you're still just building his temple if you do it that way. So the final and the coolest part, I think, of the word last year was this whole thing from quantum science. And the simple version, you know, it's called the observer effect, and it's talked about how quantum science has proven that matter, matter that we're all made up of, everything's made up of matter, it responds when it's looked at, and it responds differently depend on who look, depending on who looks at it. So if you're watching it, it will do one thing. If somebody else is watching it, it could do something different. And so this is not even, wasn't even new science. This has been around a long time. And basically, we went on to say that if that's true, then that and it is true, but that matter, all matter, isn't just a fixed, um, in a fixed state. And so it says that, that it can be one of many states. So, you know, this thing, it says that this isn't always and forever this hard. It's not always a hard s- surface. It may be 95% probable that this is going to be hard in this environment, you know, that this is going to be something you can set your computer on but it's not actually fixed in, in the world. It's not actually a fixed state. It can be changed, and it can be changed by who's looking at it. So then you apply this to other things in life, and then beyond just the physical, even just our circumstances, you apply this to issues of healing and disease in, the, in your body. It means that if you have low blood sugar or high blood pressure, whatever it is, that it's not fixed. You know, we've lived in a world where we've learned to accept these facts as factual and they can't be changed. And so medical stuff is a huge way, example of that and an easy way to see it because a doctor who's gone to medical school, has the degree, tells us we have a disease, we have a condition, and we think, oh, we are intimidated by that because we're like, well, now... It's been, it's official. I have so-and-so-and-so-and-so. Or it's official. They have cancer. They have this. They have that. And we're so intimidated by that that we call the people who go out and bring the healing of Jesus superheroes because they dare to believe that, that that thing could change. And we learned that quantum science, the way God made the world, he made your cells and your body, you, he made everything about us subject to change. It's all subject to change. And so we learned that we aren't waiting really for God to override the laws of nature in order to bring about a miracle because he already made the natural world to respond and be changeable. So how much of the world could we change, of the culture could we change, of ourselves and our communities? I mean, it applies to everything. But if we are willing to look at it, if we're willing to look at it with sanctified imagination, sanctified creativity, in all of these ways, we can change it. It says who's looking at it. 
Who's looking at the mountain of media for the past 50, 60, 70, 100 years? It's not been the Christians. The Christians haven't been looking at what's going on in the mountain of media in our world. So people with a whole other agenda. They've been looking at it, and so it's changed according to what they want to see. So it's, it's, this has huge impact. And one of the great lines in our book we had was, quantum science is trumping the lie that the natural world is more powerful than the spirit that lives in the sons and daughters of God. It is a lie that we are working up to climb an uphill mountain to get, you know, a miracle to happen. It's just a lie because he pre-planned us to be in these bodies, to have our faith, to have us to be exactly the way we are. With this imagination, he pre-planned for the natural world to respond to us. So it's not like a, a big giant obstacle that was thrown in our, it, it was planned for. And so it's trumping the lie. And even science is supporting the idea that it can be on earth as it is in heaven. And so to close up with my my recap, one of the great lines from the word that he gave me, the prophetic word, was that he said, I am preparing the body for a brand new faith. I am refining the seat of their faith. A brand new faith. Doesn't this word that we shared talk to? speak to your faith level. I mean, it, it directly impacts my faith level when I, when I hear it. So I'm preparing the body for a brand new faith. I'm refining the seat of their faith. I am stirring in the hearts and minds of man. Hold fast to the seed of truth I've planted in you. Nurture it and protect it and watch all that will burst forth from it. And so that is my hope and my wish And my prayer for all of us is that we will remember these seeds that came in the word of the year and be continue to be looking for ways to apply them. So as I said, we're all in process. We're going to forever be in process. And so there's ways that, like Tisa said, that that word is still going to apply for the rest of eternity. Okay, it's going to apply. So just be excited about it. Revisit it. Re-listen to it on our podcast and everything, even while you're doing other stuff. So you can get that that faith built up in you and protect those revelations of the seeds that he gave us in that word. Awesome. Awesome. So good. I like to hear you talk. Remember her when she first came in the living room? Remember, this is how she would worship like this right here. She could do other things that way, too, but this was worship right here. Remember she wrote that article on introvert worship gone wrong? Where she actually was not even singing out loud and no one even knew it. But then one time she got so excited something squeaked out and then she didn't know what to do with herself. That's funny. Well, anyway, I just wanted to um, bless y'all with this book and hopefully you will take opportunity to re-listen to some of the sermons everything's on soundcloud and youtube and rumble and podcasts on google and apple so i mean there's just no way that you can't avail yourselves of that right thank you for listening to this message from one life okay for more information please visit us at onelifeok.com 